in March of 2020, there I was training other HR people on how to implement COVID policies and when you could take temperatures and when you couldn't and all of that. I, you know, I, I had to learn it, I had to figure it out and I did and it was fine. And um, I mean, that wasn't fine. <laughs> it was terrible. I never want to do that again. But the reality is, is I don't know what's going to happen in 2023. Do I hope that I have to learn more public health stuff? No, I would prefer not to do that again. But who knows what it is? But we need to at least acknowledge the scenarios that we can predict. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Over the last three years, HR pros have been stretched thin. We've been asked to become amateur epidemiologists, technologists, psychologists, sociologists, and a whole mess of other ists, while dealing with first a global pandemic, then adding the social justice great awakening, and then we added the great resignation, and then the on again, off again, on again, return to the office. All this stuff just piled one on top of the other. And I know a lot of HR pros who did it brilliantly, yet with a recession possibly just around the corner and 2023 budgets being finalized, many organizations are already seeing HR as a cost center. And as companies in the technology, real estate, and finance sectors continue to shed jobs, many business leaders may be inclined to cut HR overhead to save costs. As we continue our series of HR New Year's resolutions, I'm joined by the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas to discuss how HR should ask for what it needs in 2023. After starting her career in corporate HR, Suzanne left the corporate world to advise people and companies on how to have the best human resources departments available. Suzanne writes about people, leadership, and management at evilhrlady.org and for a variety of other online news media sites. She also runs the Evil HR Lady Facebook group, which is still on the plate of my very reduced social media diet. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Suzanne. Thanks so much for having me. So what's your take on the current state of HR after the last three tumultuous years? Well, as you said, we have done it all. The whole becoming an expert on vaccine policy was not something that I ever foresaw in my future, but here we are. Um, and as you said, there was all of this come together and everybody was stressed out, but HR was responsible for all the logistics and the messaging and all of those things and were really burned out. And now you add to that recession. And of course, recruiters are the first to go in a recession. Um, a lot of recruiters lost their jobs in 2020 and then people were hiring recruiters like crazy in 2021, 2022, and now we're seeing that cut. And with technology um, changing, Amazon just had documents linked, leaked that they are reducing recruiters in favor of AI. So we are, we are existing. 
Yeah, six months ago, you couldn't hire a recruiter. And then, you know, and now, uh, you know, they're, they're out there in force looking for their own jobs. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the, the thing about transactional HR versus strategic HR. I mean, there are a lot of recruiters who add a lot of value, but that's one of those HR functions that you really can outsource. And now you like Amazon's going to, I, I, I don't have high expectations that they're going to be really successful with their AR AI recruiting process. But I think a lot of companies are, uh, you know, are going to, are cutting recruiters because they're not hiring as many positions. And so, and you'll probably need fewer payroll people. You'll need fewer, you know, those kind of transactional HR roles are going to, you know, staff up or staff down according to the, the amount of workload. But I think the, on the strategic side, the planning, the culture, the, uh, you know, building the employer brand, there's all, you know, I think there's always a a stronger argument for making sure that those people stay on board. Yes. But I seem to see those people being the first to go, uh, because if you can't make a strong argument of in dollars and cents, why you're adding value to the company, uh, you're out the door. And, a lot of times HR people have trouble speaking in dollars and cents. Uh, there's more and more people out there that have knowledge of finance. There's more HR people with MBAs and things like that that can speak that language. But if you can't speak it, all of your all of your fun uh, programs and policies don't seem to make a lot of sense to the corporate cost cutters. I think you're right. And I think part of that is we where we are successful and where we, um, you know, really bring value to those areas, uh, building the employer brand, maintaining culture, improving culture, uh, keeping the, the organization from getting sued, things like that. When things are just going along and we're just doing it and, and being wonderful at it, we don't sing our own praises. And so it's, and, and we're not documenting what we've done so that, when the time comes where executive teams start looking at where do we cut some cost, HR looks like just a, a you know is just a number on the the P and L that hey you know if we're reducing our staff by twenty percent we should reduce uh, you know the HR function by twenty percent which may not be the right decision um, especially at a time where uh, morale is going to be impacted by layoffs and uncertainty. Well, absolutely, and. And one of my favorite quotes from my friend, Kate Bishop, who is an HR consultant and employment attorney, she says that HR is like the CIA. If they're doing a good job, you don't even know they're there. You only know they're there when something goes wrong. And so that is one of the catch 22s of HR when you're talking about layoffs, if if the executive team is like, gosh, everything runs so smoothly here. We don't have any problems with sexual harassment. We don't have any lawsuits. This is great. We don't need an HR. Well, the reason why it's great is because you have good HR, but then you get rid of your HR because everything's great. And then you find out. It's interesting because I was uh, at a State Chamber of Commerce event last week, and I, I saw an executive uh, who's a friend of mine of a very large company here in Texas. And I've got a lot. He's got a he had a uh, an HR leader who was just you know crazy respected about how he builds culture and all of that. 
and uh, he's since moved on to a, a consulting firm. And, uh, and I said, I, you know, I, I saw you lost this, you know, so-and-so and, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's y'all's plan? And he said, well, he built us a great culture and it was great, but now we just, we just felt like we needed, uh, somebody on the nuts and bolts side, just, uh, you know, just, we just, that's all we needed now. Cause you know, he had done this and I thought, I'd be curious to see in two years what, what that culture looks like if you're just focusing on the nuts and bolts side of, of, of your people leadership. Right. I mean, that, that happens so often, but it also brings up the importance of the nuts and bolts side, because if those nuts and bolts aren't done well, they are absolutely not going to listen to your strategy. If, if everybody's health insurance is messed up, it doesn't matter that that was done by an outsourced company and it's your insurance broker's fault. It doesn't matter. They're not going to listen to HR's strategic plans when your health insurance got mixed up or if payroll doesn't run on time. And, you know, a lot of companies, payroll is HR adjacent. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if payroll reports into finance. It's HR's fault. And so all of those little things, all of those transactional HR is really, really critical if you want to have good strategic HR. You cannot have good strategic HR and crappy transactional HR. It just right, doesn't I, work. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, HR gets blamed for a lot. Some of it's in, within its con- scope and control, and and, so, and sometimes other stuff isn't. But we've got to we've got to do the block and tackling well uh, if if we're going to expect that seat at the table where we can really talk about culture and uh, extending the company's you know mission, vision, and values to the through the rest of the organization. Absolutely. So, if you were advising um, an HR pro who says, "Okay, I need to, I need to make the business case for, you know, continued or even increased HR investment," um, where would you start in that process? Well, first, I would ask what they think needs to change, uh, because every company is going to be different. That's one thing about HR is that it's going to be different in every company. Um, you know, there are some things that have to be done, but when you're talking about strategy and culture, different companies have different cultures and that's fine. We don't all want to work for the same people. Um, some people want to, um, you know, we talked about Amazon earlier. I have zero desire to work for her Amazon. Nothing I've heard about it makes it be a place I want to work with or for. Um, and that's, that's fine. I don't have to. There's lots of people that want to. They get thousands, hundreds of thousands of applications. There's lots of people that do. I don't. Um, although Jeff Bezos, if you're listening and would just like to send me some money, <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. Um, so to identify what problems it, the company has that you want to solve and to be able to think about it in terms of return on investment. You know, if we're going to do this, that, or the other, I need to be able to turn around and say, and this is what we expect will happen. And what do we expect will happen? Uh, you know, if we start making a real statement that we are not going to tolerate racial discrimination anymore in this company, we're not going to do it. And 
I can make that case to a CEO, but if I don't warn the CEO that if we start focusing on this, you're going to see a rise in cases. And they'll be like, why? Uh, you know, that's the exact opposite of what we want. Well, the reason why there's going to be a rise is because they're going to recognize, oh my gosh, they're going to do something about it. So now I'm going to report it. And then with that in mind, you can talk about the cost savings ultimately, because if people report it in-house, you can solve the problem. If they don't report it in-house, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a lawsuit or an EEOC claim. And that's if you win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the and the cost of, you know, over time, the savings would be retention and all of that. But if you know, most of us at some point in our career worked at a company that said, we're committed to this and we're going to do this and everybody gets excited and, and then they don't see any change. And they see a few people put their, stick their necks out and get them chopped off rather than, you know, um, get what was promised as far as a response. And it just kills engagement and, and leads to your good employees who have other options going someplace else and the ones who don't. Uh, staying. So you end up with a bunch of, you know, turkeys rather than eagles in your organization. So, uh, so, you know, you've got to have that management commitment to, to make those kinds of changes, but you got to have an HR leader, somebody really adept at doing that, at, at, at selling that to the executives, but also executing on it, you know, doing the blocking and tackling side or the tactical side of, of how you implement that. Exactly, exactly. And if you can't lay out a plan for how you're going to carry it out, ah, we are going to be a place of unity and harmony. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Okay, how are you going to do that? Do you have the, the guts to do what it takes to get there? Um, are you going to be willing to discipline up to and including terminations for bad players, even if that bad player is a senior vice president? Right. Um, and or your oh, best salesperson. Your best, That's, you know, yeah. Best salesperson, the boss's niece, mm. um, and and let's be honest, most companies are not willing to fire their best salesperson. They're not willing to fire the boss's niece. They're they're not willing to do it. So before you start telling employees, we're going to make these changes, you need to make sure that you are willing to make those changes. And some of those are hard changes to make. But you're right. If you say we're going to do this and then you don't, it's worse than saying, than ignoring it. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes around that is John Amici's uh, quote saying where he said that uh, a company's culture is defined by the worst behavior tolerated. And everybody sees the worst behavior tolerated and knows, okay, that's where the, the standard is. Now, they may hold me individually to a higher standard because I'm not the best salesman or the vice president's nephew, but that's, that kills any, any idea that, on the part of your, your team that this is really what you're committed to as an organization. Exactly, exactly. If you're not willing to do that, forget it. There's no point. And then I think there's the issue... Uh, of selling, and we touched on it a little bit, selling it, the idea of this of expense first investment. I mean, there are certain things that are straight expense, right? That you know, uh, but there there are a lot of ways to spend money in HR that are really investments, and and I think we have to really build that into our business case, and not just talk about I need X dollars because this is the standard ratio of of HR staff to 
employees, that comes across as an expense versus talking about the investment side. Okay, here's what we're going to do with our staff dollars, or here's what the buying this new uh, HRIS system will do for uh, the organization and how that investment will either generate revenue over time or at least avoid expense at a, at a higher ratio to, to, to what we're, you know, the, the expense side of it is to per- implement that system. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned understanding the company's financials. And I think, like you said, more people, more HR folks do understand the financials than certainly when I started HR 30 years ago. But the problem I think is on the strategy side, there's still a lot of HR professionals, even at the manager, director, and uh, more senior level, who don't really understand the company's strategy and how the company is really making money and how the company and, and the ability to contribute. If without that, you can't contribute to, okay, well, here's how on the human capital side, which is probably our biggest single line item as far as expenses, we can make adjustments to meet these challenges. And you know, if you don't understand how the company makes money, you're not going to have that. Um, not be able to engage in that conversation. That this is something that I'm so 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 lucky. Um, I've started my career at a grocery store chain called Wegmans, and your East Coast listeners will know Wegmans because it's the best grocery store in the whole world. And I have been to 48 countries, and I can say it is the best grocery store in any of the countries I've ever been to, and I love it with all my heart. Uh, Have you ever been to an HEB in Texas, though? No, I haven't. Okay. But I guarantee guarantee Wegmans is better. But if you'd like to find me down- I will, I would be yeah. happy to take, I actually go to grocery stores every place I go because I always, I find them a very fascinating thing, but that's a side topic. Anyway, at Wegmans, when I worked there back in the dark ages, I started there in 1999. And I presume this is still their policy today is that even though I was corporate, um, I was hired as an HR analyst. Um, I had to spend six weeks in a grocery store. I had to stock shelves. I had to work in produce. They made me work in fish. I don't like fish. Blech. Um, I worked in pizza. Um, I worked with the night manager, which, oh my goodness. Um, she was like, yeah, I've lost 20 pounds on this job because I just walked the whole night going from one problem to another and solving it. But I saw how the business worked, how it made money, and it gave me insight into my analysis. I understood now when I was doing turnover reports why some departments had higher turnover than others. It's not just the management. It's that some jobs were harder than others. You know, it really gave me that insight, that face-to-face kind of a thing. And that was their policy is that everybody in corporate had to work in a store. And at Christmas time, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, everybody in corporate that possibly could would go help out in the stores. And is that the, you know, the, wouldn't it have been cheaper to hire returning college students that are home for a month to help bag groceries than send your vice president in? Yeah. But is it better to have a VP bagging groceries for a week so that that VP understands how the store is really 
doing it, you're like, oh, well, I'm an HR person. I don't need, no, you need to know how those things are. And so that was the very, very start of my career. And I'm so grateful for that because I learned it from baby HR that you really need to understand how the business makes money. Like you said, how it operates, what people are doing from day to day. And this is one of the things that have gotten me into trouble recently is all of these HR people that are saying, I'll only work from home. I only want 100% remote jobs. If the company is 100% remote, you betcha. Great. But if there are people that have to be in there, if you're talking retail, if you're talking manufacturing, if you're talking anything where there are people in the office and your HR person is like, well, I'm too good to be in the office. I need to breathe this rarefied air at home. Forget it. Forget it. You become so distant from the people that you're supposed to support and advocate for. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I totally agree. And even if you're fully remote, your employees are talking to each other somehow. There's Slack channels for different operations or different departments. Uh, even in our you know small organization, um, you know our operations folks have multiple. Uh, so, uh, we use team, or, uh, Zoom, have multiple Zoom chat channels where they're talking about what's going on in their areas and, and supporting each other and sharing information. And I try to make it a point every day to there's an all company chat, but then to at least drop into those other chats to see what's going on, right? And I'm looking at it from an owner perspective primarily, but I'm also the, the, the CHRO of our 22 employee company. I mean, so it really does boil down to me. And I get insight from seeing what's going on even online. And I, I think, oh, well, we're fully remote. Doesn't let that HR person off the hook uh, from understanding what's going on in however the employees are interacting. And I don't think there's anything that stops you from, if you're fully remote, from still taking on a customer service role, answering some phone calls and uh, or sitting in on some sales presentations or doing whatever it is so that you've got some insight about, again, how the company's making money. Absolutely. And I find that really critical. And often HR gets so busy in the transactional and also in their strategy, but you can't have good strategy if you don't know how people are operating on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm going to look back at my retail past. Uh, when I was in college, I worked as a cashier for a company called Kmart. And you might notice that there are no Kmarts left anymore. Or I remember reading an article that there's like three left. It used to be everywhere. One of the things that we had to do was wear dress shoes, hard soled dress shoes to stand behind a cash register. Now you compare that with Wegmans, who I worked for just a few years later, where they would have gone into hysterical laughter if someone had suggested that cashiers needed to wear hard-soled dress shoes. And I think one of the big differences was that at Wegmans, everybody in the corporate office, everybody making policy had stood behind a cash register, had stocked a shelf, had dealt with customers face-to-face, -face, and they knew that comfortable shoes are the way to go. And that may seem like a really simple thing, but if you have too much separation between the people that are doing the work and that are making the money and the people that are making policies, that's what you get is hard sole shoes standing by the cash register. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. 
premium background checks with fast and friendly service. Most often people think of Imperative as that really amazing background check company, and that's great, but there are other ways we help our clients with people issues. For instance, as you wrap up your financials for 2022, we can help you verify the accuracy of all your taxpayer IDs for both employees and non-employees before you prepare and submit your W-2s and 1099s. Also, clients sometimes ask for our help in locating former employees to whom the company still has a retirement or 401k fiduciary responsibility. Often, those employees leave the company, move away, and can't be found when needed. We can usually find them. So whatever the situation, we can often help our clients in unexpected ways. You just need to reach out to us. We're here to help at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of an hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select Episode 74 and enter the keyword Evil HR Lady. That's all one word, E-V-I-L-H-R-L-A-D-Y. And now back to my conversation with the Evil HR Lady, Suzanne Lucas. And so as we look at 2023 and try to figure out what, you know, there's, we don't know what the scenarios are going to be. Uh, we don't, you know, what's the recession going to look like? Is is it going to be a, a recession that's run by inflation? But but if, you know, if the zennials and uh, certain groups of, of our employees continue to, you know, quit a job for, you know, reasons that, maybe their the previous generations wouldn't have even considered quitting a job for. And, you know, if, if we see the average tenure of, of an employee be nine months to 12 months instead of, you know, at least, you know, 24 to 36 months, you may need more HR. So, you know, we don't know what the real scenario is going to be. And depending on what industry we're in, it may be more or less predictable. Uh, you know, anybody in energy, in the last two years knows what a roller coaster that's been. And as soon as you've adjusted to one reality, uh, everything's changed and you're, you're making more adjustments. So I think, uh, as HR professionals start talking about investments or making the business case for maintaining a strong HR, uh, presence, they need to consider multiple scenarios and, and forecast, okay, well, if this happens, Here's what you're going to need HR to be able to do. And if this other circumstance happens, you're going to need a different HR approach. And this is what we need to plan for there. But what you don't want is another March and April of 2020 where, you know, we were hit with something we we didn't anticipate. And, and we were all, you know, we spent a lot of time spinning our wheels trying to figure out what to do. Um, and so that scenario planning, I think, is something that a lot of HR folks don't engage in, uh, and again, if they don't understand the business and how we make money and all that and, and the market we operate in, that makes it almost impossible to do. But I think we've got to think through those those circumstances and, and have multiple plans in place that we can present to leadership. I think you're really right about all of that, that you need to have these plans in place. You need to have your what if scenarios. And there are things you couldn't predict. As I said, you know, if you had asked me, in, you know, even November of 2019, gee, Suzanne, do you really think that you'll need to understand, uh, you know, public health and vaccinations? I'd be like, 
no, I'm an HR person. What are you talking about? And yet, you know, in, in March of 2020, there I was training other HR people on how to implement COVID policies and when you could take temperatures and when you couldn't and all of that. I, you know, I, I had to learn it. I had to figure it out and I did and it was fine. And um, I mean, that wasn't fine. <laughs> it was <Right>. terrible. <laughs> Never want to do it again. Never want to do that again. But the reality is, is I don't know what's going to happen in 2023. Do I hope that I have to learn more public health stuff? No, I would prefer not to do that again. But who knows what it is? But we need to at least acknowledge the scenarios that we can predict and or that, you know, predict is the wrong word that, you know, we can say this is a possible outcome here. And, you know, you see some of these things going on. You see with um, big tech cutting heads, you know, um, Elon Musk got all the press about chopping Twitter in half and and Facebook kind of got a pass and they didn't they didn't lay off nearly as high a percentage as Twitter did, but they laid off a lot more people than Twitter did. And Amazon is laying off 20,000 people. That's huge. That is huge. And so, you know, as I'm sitting here in kind of an outsider role, how is that going to affect my business, you know, from a personal standpoint, um, as tech companies one by one stop, start chopping heads, um, are they also going to chop the training and development that I give? Possibly. Should they? No, absolutely not. They should increase it. Um, <laughs> well, and you would, and you, but you would change your training too. I mean, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, if at a time where where clients are having to lay off people, that's when you start talking how to do a a compassionate riff. Yeah, right. Right. I am not currently running any webinars on whether or not you can take employees' temperatures. Um, (laughs) You know, and I ran those pretty much every week for a year and a half, and they were always full because everybody needed that kind of information. I don't run them anymore. So I had to make that that change. That's from a me side. But every company needs to think about those types of things. Um, You know, what are you going to be doing? Are, as new laws are put into place, how is that going to affect your business? And there's so many times, you know, we, we joke about the whole, the whole joke of the, well, I didn't think the leopards eating your face party would send leopards to eat off my face, you know? And a lot of times people vote for or support bills that they don't understand and how that's going to impact their business and their jobs. And you really need to pay attention and on the local level, not just on the national level. And you mentioned uh, Elon Musk's adventures at Twitter and laying off a bunch of people and then having to turn around and rehire a bunch of people and or try to and try to get people to come back um, that, you know, maybe he's a little overzealous on, but that's another risk that leaders, if, if they really, if they, when they cut into HR or any department, but certainly rebuilding your talent management and your, you know, infrastructure is going to be a challenge after you've laid those folks off. And so if you've got, if you've got great performers, do we really want to do this yo-yo thing where 
okay, so we've got a three month downturn. So we're going to cut a bunch of people in HR, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, HR has the, a lot of the institutional knowledge and the legacy information and understands, you know, uh, especially your longer term HR folks understands why we do what we do the way we do it. And um, losing that, that, that history uh, and, and the experience and skill and familiarity with the culture and who we, you know, the kind of people we hire and, and how we serve our customers through people, that's expensive rebuilding that, that infrastructure. And I think that's another key part of, of your argument to, uh, to leadership about maintaining HR through a, maybe a downturn. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so expensive to hire and people don't see the costs of hiring because they're not so black and white. Um, all of that training, all of that institutional knowledge, the person that says, oh, we tried that in 2017 and here's why it failed. And, and with that knowledge, you can say, ah, oh, but the conditions have changed. We want to change it. But you want that person that can say, this is what we tried. This is what happened. And maybe we don't want to try that again. Or at least that way, right? Let's, you know, or at here, least here's that what way. we learned last time. Uh, here's what we learned last time. And we decided not to go forward. If we go forward this time, maybe we may need to, you know, turn these knobs and push these levers to, to see if we get a different outcome. Right. And, and the new and shiny isn't always better. Um, one of those things that, um, that bothers me is this idea that everybody needs to be this type A go-getter climbing the corporate ladder. You don't want that. Right. You don't want everybody in your company to be that. You lose institutional knowledge. You lose stability. Um, you have a lot of infighting as people are fighting over each other. Uh, but what you really want is some people that are really aggressive whatevers and then people that are going to do the work. And this whole thing with quiet quitting drives me bonkers because people doing their jobs and going home is what we in HR have been arguing for for years when we're talking about work-life balance. Hello, that is work-life balance. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, Having all type A employees who really want to, you know, climb the corporate ladder and, and you want to keep investing in them to keep a deep bench and all that, that's a great recipe for wage inflation and uh, and, and just uh, really put a lot of fat on your on your books. Uh, and, and I think, you know, and I, I think the whole quiet and I put a did a, an article uh, on it, but the, that the whole quiet quitting thing. That's not a new problem. That's the, that's we've always had two groups of people: people who underperform, who just you know are going to do as little as possible not to get fired, and that's always a leadership issue because right. we hired the wrong people, we maybe incentivized them poorly, maybe we oriented them poorly, and we certainly are managing them poorly if they're still there and they're not they're not performing either. That we need to manage them up or manage them out. Uh, and that's a leadership issue. That's I, I don't have a problem with the employee as much as I do with with their leaders. And then on the flip side, if it's the leader who is constantly squeezing that last drop out of the lemon every day and expects you know their employees to perform at 110 percent at 8 a.m. straight through 5 p.m. every day, um, yeah, I mean, we, who wouldn't be frazzled at the end of that day? And maybe that leader does that because they're the personality who can grow, you know, who, who's driving to do that. But 
expecting that out of everybody else who wants to have a life and wants to be able to give something to their families at the end of the day and all of that uh, is that's a leadership problem. <laughs> that's not a, an employee problem. It is a leadership problem. And one of the things I like to think of it as, and I explain this to people, is that your baby is always the cutest baby that ever existed. And everything your baby does is so, so cute, right? And that's what it is like owning a business. Like you're obsessed with it uh, and you're willing it. I'm not willing to get up with your baby at two in the morning, but I'm certainly willing to give up with my babies at two in the morning because my babies are special and yours is kind of a little funny looking, right? But to your employees, your business is that funny looking shrieking thing at two o'clock in the morning and they're just putting their pillow over their head and going back to sleep. It's not their baby. And, and so often when you're in a senior leadership role or you're an owner or founder, it's your baby and you can't see that it's really kind of ugly and has funny hair and is definitely going to need braces, right? You're like, oh, this is so beautiful. Everyone's like, oh, it's a baby. Um, <laughs> con congratulations. Are you happy about that? And, and we need to be able to see that, that it's okay. It's okay that people aren't getting up at two in the morning or working 80 hours a week. And if you want them to do that, you need to give them a piece of the pie so that it is their baby. And that's why equity is so important, uh, especially in senior and strategic roles, because without that, it's not my baby. I'm going to go to bed. I'm not going to get up at 2 a.m. with your baby. And we just saw, we've seen several, had a several, that's the Thing, not, there are no secrets in the world anymore. And so we've seen several instances with managers who have put posted notices to their employees and or sent emails to all their employees. And these are large corporations. And this is just a local, you know, Olive Garden manager, uh, you know, blasting employees for calling in sick or your dog, you know, your dog is sick or your dog died or whatever. And people need time off and just blasting them for, um, for taking any time off and saying when I was, you know, in the frontline service role, I was super, you know, a superhero. Uh, and then when you find out, you know, uh, that not everybody else wants to do that and, you know, you're the regional manager or the manager of the store, uh, then suddenly your people are, um, you know, they don't want to, you know, they don't, you're surprised. They don't want to do what you're, you're, you're asking them to do. And then they, then your employees are, doing screenshots of your emails or taking photos and posting it on, on, on Reddit and Twitter. And, and now, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, the whole world sees your management style is not the kind of place that this person wants to work at. And, and you're right. The whole world sees it. And I've had managers say to me, you know, like, well, isn't it illegal? I'm like, it doesn't matter whether it's illegal or not. It really doesn't. You know, in a lot of states, you have to have two-party consent to record a conversation. Fine. Take that employee to court that records your conversation. <laughs> yeah. But it's already gone viral on, you know, TikTok or whatever. And you can't undo that damage. You can't undo it. And your employee doesn't have any money for you to sue anyway. So, you know... You have to always act as a manager as if every email that you write, every meeting that you have, everything is going to be shared on social media. You have to act that way. And if you don't, at some point you're going to get caught off guard 
and your funny joke where everybody thought it was funny, everybody laughed. Oh, doesn't go over so well when it hits social media. Right. And there was there was a guy just on LinkedIn last week um, that I'm sure he thought he was like flexing and showing how awesome of an employee he was. Uh, talked about his baby was in the hospital, but he was going to stay doing his sales thing. Got absolutely crucified on LinkedIn, got crucified on Reddit. Um, I tried to find him. He's taken down his LinkedIn altogether. Um you know, ruined his life temporarily if his mm -hmm. wife doesn't kill him for taking off when the baby's in the hospital um, over something that he thought he would get praise for. Yeah, it was that whole crushing it flex uh, rarely goes over well in 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 popular in you know social media, and that was to even I saw that one and I thought. As soon as I read it, I thought this is not going to end well for this guy. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't end well for a lot of a lot of people who I even agree with. There's just certain sentiments you don't want to put out there on social media to start with, uh, because they're not going to you're not going to get the uh, the the appreciation you think you probably are. Even you know, you can be right and still not you know be in line with the zeitgeist of social media. But but that guy, I just had to shake my head because I was there you know, with when all three of my kids are born and whenever they were sick and I, you know, and I've always ensured sure that my employees have that ability and I'd be chapped at one of my employees if they told me, Oh yeah, well I'm coming in, but my sick, my kid's sick and I'm having to leave them alone. That's not what I want for, uh, you know, for the, for the values or the kind of people that, you know, or the kind of life I want my employees to have to live. Yeah. I, I don't either, but I think that's something you said needs to really be talked about more too, is that the whole zeitgeist of social media is not necessarily reality. And this is something that I see companies responding to outrage on Twitter, forgetting that Twitter makes up not only an incredibly tiny percent of the population, but it also is made up of an incredibly echo chamber of, of the community. And so what goes viral there and the same thing on Reddit, there's very specific groups. So sometimes you should just chill and let Reddit or let Twitter or let TikTok have its day and go on with things without overreacting. And that's another place where the voice of HR reason can come in. Although I run into a lot of HR people who are wrapped up. Right. In that, um, and they want to go to, they want to join in the battle and and prove they're right. And uh, one of my close friends is always asking me, "Do you uh, do you want to be right or do you want to get what you want?" And right. often those are two different things. Well, so let's. I'm you know, as I said, I'm on the Evil HR Lady Facebook group, um, and I I see a lot of folks who want. Uh, raises or promotions and ask how, you know, ask the question of their peers on, on that group. How do I approach this? How do I approach? What's your best advice for the HR professional who's asking for what they need personally from leadership? How, how do you go about that? What's the best thing to do there? Well, if you're asking for a raise, uh, December 12th, when we're recording this is too late. You should have asked for it back in October because if the raises go into effect January 1st, they're already decided. Sorry, sweetie. But 
one of the things HR is really good for is advocating for employees, but they forget to advocate for themselves and say, what do I need? And again, you need to be able to build that business case. How will being able to go to this conference benefit the business? How will being able to do this training benefit the business? How will the business paying for me to get my um, SPHR certification benefit the business? And you should be able to think through that and advocate for that and present that as a case. Um, to to the business, but you've got to ask, you've got to open your mouth. Uh, this is one of those things that I've always struggled with. I have a little bit of anxiety going on. Um, and so I'm always convinced, you know, that I'm just about to get fired, you know, it's just, uh, just about nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Um, when it's not reality, uh, you have to be willing to open your mouth and speak up for yourself and on what you need, and in HR's case, how that will benefit the business as a whole. A lot of times people get caught up in talking about how it'll benefit themselves. Like, I would like to get my SPHR so that I can help achieve my dreams of blah, 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 which is outside of the company. Okay, well, I'm not going to help you achieve that dream. So let's phrase it. How will me having this extra knowledge and the certification bring benefit to this company for which I am working right now. Yeah, your boss doesn't care about the letters. Your boss cares about the ability to do the job. And and so if you walk in and tell your boss, I want you to pay for this test because I already know it all, so I don't have to study for it, then you just you just blew up the reason why the boss should be even interested in it. Right. But if you say I'm going to take this prep course and here's the things I'm going to do and at the end of it I'm going to take the test, but I'm going to learn in the process. That's when that's how you sell the value to to the whoever's writing the check. Absolutely. Because like you said, if I can just go take the test, well, the boss has already got advantage of all my knowledge. So why, why should they pay? Yeah. Why should they pay for it? Yeah, I'm gonna bring in this kind of a knowledge base for it. Uh, you know, we're gonna do this training program, which will help us be better at X or Y or Z. And if we can do that, if I can go through this training on investigations, I'm going to be able to conduct better investigations, get better results from that, which will reduce the company liability when it comes to sexual harassment, racial discrimination claims, blah, blah, blah. That's why you should pay for that. Not, oh, I've always wanted to be better at investigations. Right. And then or in the other argument, as much as I hate to say it, it means you can also tell your leadership, if we can do our investigations in-house, we won't have to spend as much money on outside investigators. We don't have to call Mike Coffey in every time we get a manager who can't keep his hands to himself. Exactly. And, uh, which exactly. Is the we definition of happiness for me to, is... A, <laughs> to give the no-no square lecture. Right. Do you include that in your trainings? <laughs> I do. This is the no-no square. Yeah, yeah, you would think. But now it's grown. I mean, you know, after we got the hair sniffing incident, now you just don't even get within, you know, just keep your hands, all, you know, there's, there, we don't need to touch each other. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me today. I, I just really enjoyed it. Thank Suzanne. It was, thanks for being here. It was great. It's been delightful. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. 
Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.